welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I'm really bummed. I lost my Fitbit last night. Now, I've been, I've been out of, uh, I've been out of sync lately. I haven't been walking as much. I was doing 10,000 miles, 10,000 steps every day. I've been doing about 4,000 or 5,000, and it's really awful. Because Joanne, she does like 15,000, and then she makes me feel bad. She's like, "You're getting fat," and I'm like, "I'm not getting fat." But I couldn't find my Fitbit. I don't know what happened. I did some background work and I, I had a change of wardrobe and I clipped it on my underwear because if you clip it on your jeans or your pants, it always falls out. So I woke up this morning and my clip was still on, but the Fitbit was gone and I'm really bummed. So I had to look around the house. I'm thinking maybe it fell on the couch because I fell asleep on the couch or maybe it fell out upstairs in the bed. But I'm really bummed because I want to. I keep saying I'm gonna try to get back in shape, and I stopped going to the gym. And, and the old guy who's from New Jersey always talks to Joanne. He's like, "Where's Steve?" And she feels bad, so I'm making her uh, not happy by not going to the gym. But I will find a Fitbit, and I promise you guys, in a month, I will start doing 10,000 steps a day. Anyway, enough about that. Ooh. We have a great guest who just got back from yoga. My guest is Leah Krinsky. Hello. How are you not know? Do you, how long have you been doing yoga? On and off for. Uh... About 16 years. So you have been doing it since like when yoga was cool, like yoga was actually healthy because now it's like everyone does yoga. Well, it's people do it for a workout. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'll admit that it, it's, I mean, I, I do it for a workout, but I also do it just, I, I, it makes me feel really good. And even though it's, it's not supposed to be about ego, it's not, you know, but I, uh, was never athletic, never coordinated. Last one to get picked on teams, real geeky. And for some reason, yoga is the first thing I've ever done that I'm actually good at. So, so it's kind of like, hey, you know, I can, I, you know, I'm flexible and I'm very stretchy and stuff. And there's also, you know, I'm, I'm 55, and, uh, you know, there's, there's now when I'm in class, um, you know, we'll be in a really difficult pose and. I'll look over and see a woman in her 20s kind of struggling, right. you know, and I'm just kind of like, suck on this whippersnapper, you know, see, which is so not what it's supposed to be about. But but it is great because it's just because like my, <laughs> my girlfriend's 48 and she's in great shape. And, and, you know, when she goes to the gym, you know, she sits there and sometimes she's just laughing, going, you know, she'll come back and go, this girl doesn't know how to use equipment. And she goes, I try to tell her you're doing this all wrong. And she gives me a look and she's thinking, you know, when you're 48, if you're a size zero, mm -hmm. okay. You're not going to be. So just mm -hmm. shut up. Mm -hmm. Now, do you do the Bikram? Do you do the Bikram? I've done it once or twice. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I, I am not a big fan of swamp ass. Right. So, I, and, and I also, I've heard so many, how, 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 um, how foul are we allowed to get on this Whatever. show? Whatever. Oh, okay. I've heard so many stories about, about the founder that, that I, I think it should, it would, it would be more appropriate if it were called Dikram yoga. Right. Because he's just such a, he's such a jerk. I've heard he's just like a, a he's, scumbag. He's, yeah, he's he litigious just... and he sexually harasses female students. And, and I don't particularly, I, I don't, I don't, it, it's not, it's not my thing. I've tried it a couple of times, but it's not, it's not my deal. Now, we talked earlier, you're, you're from New York. Yes. Now, and you, you started doing stand-up and writing. Now, as a kid, were you funny? I mean, because you're, I mean, I got to tell you one thing. I love a lot of your posts. Your oh, posts are very you. smart. And the, and the funny thing is. Because there's so many crappy posts on on Facebook, and you know you go through it, mm -hmm. and there's sometimes like people write these jokes, and I write jokes, and I know when I'm writing a dumb one, I know mm -hmm. it's it's dumb, that's why I write it. But there's some you read, and you sit there and go, why would you even write that? Yours are always intelligent, and they're 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 edgy. Well, thank you. But now, did as a kid were you funny, or I mean, how did you end up starting this career and now into the other career? We'll talk about that. But as a kid, were you funny? We my family was. I guess we were we, we were witty, you know. The the, the dinner table was very kind of Algonquin esque. There was a lot of wordplay. Um, I grew up. I learned to read on Mad Magazine and Pogo Comics. Remember Pogo? Oh, yeah. So you know, I'm very much about. And Pogo really defines my whole my whole sensibility because I'm into wordplay and I'm into cute little animals and I'm into politics. And that that's that was Pogo. So. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess I was I mean, I wasn't always like funny funny, but I knew jokes. I was always really interested in jokes. I remember being a little kid and it was the 60s and elephant jokes were popular. 
Okay. And my a friend of mine had a book of elephant jokes, and I think I committed them all to memory. Remember those joke books? And I remember there was the, and it was funny, they used to have the Polish joke books. I don't remember yeah. if Larry Wilde was the writer. And now, if they, I mean, back then, it's like, and my parents are very conservative, mm. and they would give me the Polish joke book and the Italian joke book, and we would tell them in school, yeah. and no one would get pissed off, and then there was the Jewish joke book, and I grew up in a town that was 85% Jewish, no one was getting pissed off, it was just weird, like back then the joke books were such a big tool mm. that you would read it, and no one would get pissed off at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I kind of always knew that that stuff was wrong. Okay. And it's interesting, because the Polish jokes, what what... What what are Polish jokes in this country are, you know, whoever uh, the the sort of oppressed, disrespected minority like like in 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 uh, England they were Irish jokes. Right. So it, it's it's kind of they 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 they're sort of made to fit all sizes. So now, when did you decide to what when you were in high school? What did you want to do? Um. Did you want to follow? I mean, did you I know? Wanted to get the fuck out of high school. <laughs> did you just hate it? hated it i hated it when 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 those kids shot up columbine i was like yeah i could understand that i i was i was very unpopular uh you know it's just a real oddball and um i didn't really i didn't i think i i wanted to be an actress uh yeah i went to i went to college and studied theater and then um I went to school for film. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I got into stand-up as soon as I graduated from college. What made you want to get into stand-up? Because I know when I was in college, everyone said, oh, you're funny, you know, and then I didn't know how to get into it, really. I was out near Philadelphia. There was clubs, and my mom said, oh, take this learning annex class. And I took the learning annex class. And that for me, it wasn't telling you how to be funny. It told you where to go. Uh-huh. I mean, when did you decide, I mean, when you got out, what made you decide to do stand-up? And was it scary your first night? Well, it was the 80s, and that was it was the thing to do. I had tried, I, I, I think I had tried uh, singing in bands and all of that stuff, and I realized I didn't want to have to depend on other people to get up on stage. I wanted to be able to get up on stage, um, express myself, and not have to depend on other people to, to do that. So, um, and it was the 80s. Everybody was doing stand-up. And I just remember seeing Star Search and Evening at the Improv and just thinking, well, I could do that. And I was really young and stupid and didn't know any better. didn't know that it's very difficult. And I wasn't a good stand-up. I mean, I, I was never I – was, I, was, I never got sort of past opener feature act. Uh, I, I was a much better writer than I was a comic. And then in the early 90s, I just decided I wanted to concentrate on that. So you started doing it in New York City? Yeah. Okay, so now who were some of the comics you were working out with when you started? The the, the cool the cool kids, the cool kids were, um, let's see, Seinfeld had already graduated. Seinfeld and Bill Maher had already graduated, and they were on the West Coast. So when I started out, the A acts were um, Dom Irera, Ron Darian, um, Alan Havy, uh, Scheidner had already had already graduated, Carol Siskind, um, who else? Uh, Lou DiMaggio, Ken Ober. Um, those are the guys that I remember. Well, that was a good crowd. I mean, all of them were great comics. And it was funny, though, because when you started out, and I know when I started in Philly, I started in like 88, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of female comics back then either. Mm-mm. I mean, so that must have been different because it was very much a guy's club. Mm-hmm. And so what was it like breaking into that for you? Um, I, I, You know, I don't know. Um, I mean... My experience is my experience, so I don't really have anything else to compare it to. Uh, there were I started out, I was friends with a bunch of women who started out at the same time I did. Um, it was, oh, I guess it was tougher. It's really hard to say. All right. You know, it was tough starting out. Well, it's just comedy was so weird, especially starting out in New York, because mm-hmm. there's so much competition. If you go from like a small, like, a, like even Philadelphia's not small, but if you went through Philadelphia, you get the stage time. Then you, you get to be a bigger fish in a smaller right. pond quicker. Now, now, when did you decide that you were really going to concentrate on writing? Because you had a good writing career. 
when did you decide? Cause, uh, did you just sit there as you're doing stand up? Did you feel that you were, were people saying, you know what, your material is really good? Or did you sit there and go, you know what, I just, I prefer writing these jokes instead of telling them? Um, I, I saw, I remember, I, I saw Dennis Miller's HBO black and white special. And I just remember, and it was, it was just, a, it was a game changer for me because I just thought, that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, not so much the performing, but that's how I want to, that's what I want to write. That's the kind of stuff that I want to write because I recognized a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of elements to his comedy that I really liked. I liked the, the references. I liked the sort of intellectuality of it. Uh, I liked the snarkiness. It really resonated with me. And uh, he was doing a talk show on Tribune, and I had a few friends who were on the writing staff. And I wrote a bunch of jokes one day, and I faxed them in. And they offered me a, a, like a, a, a freelance job, a stipend job, where I would just fax jokes from home. And then when he got his HBO show, I was I was I faxed for a year, and then I was brought on staff. I think I probably would have had an easier, probably would have had an easier time breaking into writing, had I been a man. Uh, but who knows? So you start. That must be great that you start writing, and you're writing for Dennis Miller. And, and you're right. He's so he was so hip. I remember I had the I had the cassette of his uh, mm -hmm. the White Album, I believe, mm -hmm. and we used to listen to it religiously because the the references were great. And I, I'm a big reference guy, and yeah. I love that. So when you start writing, is is it just different for you now? Because you're actually going to when you freelance, you can write when you want it, I'm sure, and you would fax them in. Mm -hmm. And so when you're writing, you're actually going into the staff room. Mm -hmm. Now it's your first time in a staff room. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Because I know like Rich Scheidner had said, you know, being a comic, well, he was a comic for years when he was, got a writing job. He's like, I'm not used to it. You know, I can't sit in this room. What was it? Did you enjoy going to the writer's room? Or did, I loved it. What, what did you love about it? It was just so funny. It, it, it's, you know, I mean, that's that's the real show. Because in the writer's room, you can say things that, that will never, ever get on television. And there's really no holds barred. And you can joke about anything. And I was with an incredibly funny group of guys and and Dennis was really really funny and it was we would we would all write on our own from Monday till Thursday and it was you just had dead it was like finals week every week you just had deadlines 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 you had to have um model I, I don't know if you remember that the structure of the show but there were there was an opening monologue uh there was the rant right uh, there was an interview, and then there were the pictures, the, the weekend update thing. So um, you had to, and everybody worked on everything, so you had to hand in a certain number of jokes every day, a certain number of pictures every day, and the, and the rant. So uh, we would work on our own from Monday till Thursday, and then Thursday afternoon we would get together uh, around the table and start just going over all the monologue jokes and all the pictures. And it was just, to this day, this is a lot, it was, it was 20 years ago now. To this day, I still, some, I'll flash on something that somebody said and I'll just start laughing. I'll be on the bike path, I'll be in yoga, I'll be trying to fall asleep in bed at night and I'll just think about something that, that Jim Hanna or David Feldman said and I'll just like, <laughs> Well, you know what's crazy when you think about it now is back when you did the pictures and you did that. Uh -huh. You know, I tell people this that there, there, it wasn't like the internet. Like you, you didn't sit there and just you couldn't go and go. Okay, I'll Google some weird news. You had to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to find those pictures. It's just like it's not. Like no, we had a we had we had interns, baby. Okay. <laughs> we had writers assistants who at the time I think was it called Linux? There, the the internet was just starting. And there was a news service, and they would print out stuff. But the pictures came in over – pictures were faxed in over the AP, uh, you know, the, from, from the AP. So we would just get a stack of pictures on our desk, and and we had to caption them. So we didn't have to find them ourselves. See, that's good because that that, now it's so easy. I mean, it's like you yeah. can sit there and go, okay, well, I can get – you can find a picture of anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can do a meme. I can do whatever yeah. the memes are big. Yeah. So, uh, so you wrote for six years with – six mm -hmm. years? Now – what was it like? Because I know you were nominated for an Emmy. What was that like? Because it was a, it was a, not a 
hugely popular show because it was an HBO. Mm -hmm. So it was it was popular, but it wasn't like, hey, you know, here's these other shows. Mm -hmm. What was that like when you got your first Emmy nomination? And you must have just been on top of the world and gave them the finger to everyone you went to high school with. You know what? The Emmys not the not the first time but the second the second time i was nominated the emmys were the same weekend as my 20 year high school reunion so it was like oh gee wish i could go to your little thing but i have a i have a thing i have a thing that's a little bit more important you know so uh, um it was it was amazing it was it it was just and we won the first time I was nominated, the show won. So what do you do with the Emmy? You have two Emmys, right? I sold them on eBay. No, did you really? Mm -hmm. Did just because you didn't want them, or just? Uh, I was um, after I left Dennis Miller, I went for two and a half years uh, unable to find a job, and I quit show business and sold my Emmys in a fit of pique because I just I, I would I would lie on the couch, wait for the phone to ring, look at the Emmys up on the bookcase. And just, just flip them off, you know, because they were like, I was like, you're not getting me a job. Nobody's hiring me. And I put them in the closet. And then I just finally said, you know, I'm keeping them in the closet. What the hell? I might as well just make some money off of them. So the Dennis Miller show ran for six seasons. Mm. Or you were there for six seasons? I was there for six seasons. I wasn't there the first season and I wasn't there the last season. Now, why did you leave? Because I thought I I thought I was supposed it, it was a mistake it was a it was a bad move on my part I thought I was supposed to you know you worked in Variety for a while and then you went to Episodic so I thought oh gee now I'm supposed to go work on a sitcom and and make sitcom money and what I didn't what I what I forgot about was that I hate sitcoms I've okay. never liked them. And even when I was a little kid, I thought they were stupid. And all of a sudden, I was, I, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to write on a sitcom. And I didn't really understand the structure or, and I didn't really have any kind of passion for it. And um, I was meeting with people and nobody was particularly impressed with me. And um, I was married and I owned a house, so I couldn't pull up stakes and go back to New York and work on a variety show. So I just kind of, you know, I took, I took a wrong, I took the wrong fork in the road and then just couldn't find my way back. So you didn't find a job for two, two and a half years. So you decide to quit this now. Mm -hmm. I mean, was it, was it, was it a very hard decision or were you just fed up with the business or, I mean, cause it's, it's a big, cause it is, I mean, as you said, you become part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it becomes, I mean, I did stand up for a long time and it's, then I got out It becomes your it. identity. Yeah. Now was it after two and a half years, you just said, I'm, I'm done. I just, I don't want any part of this anymore. Cause it's just not good for me. Or I mean, why did you decide not to decide to go back to it all? I, I think I was doing the thing. Do you have kids? No. You know how, um, when you've got a little kid at the playground and it's time to leave and the kid doesn't want to leave and you keep trying to get the kid to leave and the kid won't leave and then you say, okay, I'm going, bye. And you turn around and then the kid goes, no, wait. I was doing that to show business. It's like, okay, bye, okay. bye, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Okay, bye, I'm going to graduate school. Okay, okay, I'm leaving. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting an internship and show business never came after me. So now you decided, which sucks because I know, I know it, it does suck because I'm sorry. And this is, this is, you know, I just met you. It's, I've seen your stuff. You're right. The shit is funny. Thank you. I mean, there's so much crap out. As I said, I see it all the time. You look at it and you go, what the, I mean, sometimes I think, do people not know what they're writing is funny, but your stuff is funny and it's smart and it's not like, Hey, I mean, you know how, I mean, you know, the business and how people can write some of the stupidest shit and it's not even. It's like dirty, but it's not like dirty. Like it's not dirty in a cool way. Mm -hmm. Like there's a cool way to be filthy. Mm -hmm. Like you get, you have some good filthy jokes, <laughs> but but they're, <laughs> but they're, they're not cool. They're cool filthy. Like you don't read, you don't sit there, you don't read it and go, what the hell? You oh, know? you don't see this. You don't see the stuff that doesn't get posted. So you should post <laughs> I everything. Own, I have my own little writer's room in my head. <laughs> but no, so it's just, uh, it's are, now. Do you tweet? I don't even follow you on Facebook. Do you tweet? Yeah, I tweet. Okay, and it's it's at Leah Krinsky. It's uh, what's my Twitter address? It's L Crin wait. What's my Twitter handle? 
gives you an idea of how. Now, does your Twitter go straight to your Facebook? I'm Krinsk5. Okay, well, you, people, you got to follow that because that's funny-ass stuff. If it's anything like, the, if it, I don't know if it hooks up to the Facebook. But so now when you leave the business and mm-hmm. you said you're going to go to graduate school, mm-hmm. I know... I know you're through therapy now, you're mm-hmm. a therapist. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were leaving, did you did you know what you were going to get into? Did you go to graduate school to be a therapist? Or did what did you go to graduate school for? Here's what happened. I thought, I first I thought I would go to graduate school and um, get a master's in English so that I could teach at, uh, like, at community college. And um, just through it, it's a long, long story, but I had to, my, my GPA wasn't high enough to get admitted to the English department at the school that I wanted to, that I applied to. But I had to take the GRE, which is the graduate record exam. And this isn't, I'm not like, I'm not, this is just what happened. I'm not bragging. I'm just, this is what happened. So I took the GRE. I got 490 on the math. And I got 800 on the verbal, which so, is a perfect score. So it's like the SAT. It's 800, 800. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, and I got back I got, I got back the score. I, 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 got, I looked at the verbal score, and I just said, and I was just at this time in my life where I was just really questioning everything and trying to rethink everything. And I said, you know, maybe it's time to try something that doesn't come easily to me. Maybe it's time to challenge myself. And I turned around and I applied to the uh, to the um, psychology program at Cal State LA. So now that must be something not scary, just different going back to school because, you know, I mean, we get so, I took a marketing class a while mm-hmm. ago for this company I was working for a few years back. And it was just weird, like mm-hmm. driving onto a college campus and going back to school and you're sitting there and you're like, I have to take a test. I have to, and it's just, your body's not used to it. And plus but coming from the background of comedy and writing, you're used to, you're on a deadline, yeah. but it's a different kind of deadline. It's like, okay, there's also all these other people. So if I it, have a few jokes flop, you it, know. It was awesome. So what made it so awesome? Um, going back to school when you're old is a completely different trip because it really matters to you. You don't care about, I was the old lady. I didn't care what anybody we used, thought. We used to call you uh, when I was in college because I went to school near Atlantic uh, City and we'd have some of the casino workers would come in uh, and we would call them the curve busters because they would always bust because they'd be always like, we'd be like, well, we would have had this great add 12 points to the curve, but yeah. such and such got 100 and we're like, they're nice. And we're like, God, we don't want any, you, like, you look through the thing going, is there any, is there any older people? And they weren't even old, you know, but older people in there. And they're like, yeah, I, go, I think I'm, I'm going to go try, see the other class because uh-huh. I screw everything up. You don't you don't care about being popular. You don't care about making friends. You don't care about meeting guys. You are just you're there to do the work. And that's all you care about. And we were I, I, and it was like, you know, get out of my way, whippersnappers. You know, right. Shut up. Stop texting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went to <clears throat> Cal State L.A., which I'm. I believe is one of the most diverse college campuses in the United States. Um, very interesting student population. 55% Hispanic when I was attending. Um, a lot of the kids are the first ones in their families to go to college. Um, the girls were awesome. And, and I remember once, um, you know, I'm talking to, I'm talking to my little little Jewish mommy back on Long Island and she's, you know, and I, and I don't remember. She was asking me what I was doing for Rosh Hashanah. And I, I said, well, I've, I've got school. And she said, they don't close the college down on Rosh Hashanah. The campus is open. There are classes. That's exactly how she talks. And I said, mom, there are five Jews on campus, four <laughs> professors and me. <laughs> And she's like, well, they should still close. And I said, we have Cesar Chavez Day off. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, that's so funny because out here it is so different. Because the the, high, the town I grew up in, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, mm-hmm. our schools were closed for Jewish holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out here, it's like not not heard of. I mean, it, it's just it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you and you you, you don't you want to go to school. You want to take advantage of it because there's nobody that, because at least the highways are the freeways are are empty. Exactly. Because people take off work. So, so you go to, so it's a, how long of a program is it when you go back? Um, 
depending on well, what happened was I went back for I, I went back for the for the uh, a master of arts degree in psychology, which is an academic degree, which theoretically take can take you like two or three years, depending on how quickly you get your thesis done. In the middle of of that, um, my ex husband and I broke up, and I thought, well, gosh, I, I guess I have to earn a living now because he was supporting me. And I had been thinking that I was going to take my master's degree, apply to a Ph.D. program, and then, I don't know, do something. But then I just decided I wanted to become a therapist. I wanted to become an MFT, um, which is marriage and family therapist. So I, which was a different master's degree at, at, at Cal State, which it was a master of science degree, which is a, a, an applied degree okay. rather than an academic degree so I ended up getting two master's degrees so it ended up taking me about six years it was the time that I could have gotten a PhD now what made you want to go into the field of uh, therapy um I just I, I was I, I'd been in therapy a, a good deal and it helped me a lot um I, I loved psychology and I really liked hearing people's stories I discovered that um, I was in the in 2004, I worked on the John Kerry campaign. I was part of this group that would take bus rides to um, Arizona and Nevada because they were swing states, and we just tried to get people to we tried to get Democrats to register. We tried to get people to do early voting. So um, I was on these eight-hour bus rides with a bunch of people, and I just discovered that I really liked just listening to people. So that just so you decided after that this is the career I'm going to follow. Mm -hmm. So now after you graduated, mm -hmm. now then how does one go about following to get a job for therapy? You start your own business. How does that work? First, you do an internship. You have to get uh, you have to do a three thousand hour internship. So how long does that take approximately? A million fucking years. I can imagine three <laughs> three thousand hours sounds like that's like more that's more than like more. Uh, community service and Chris Brown gets. It I mean, that's like. Forever. So it, it took it, it took me about three, three, three and a half years. So what are you doing as you're as you're being an intern? Are you are you going in? Are you are you watching another therapist? Are you? Nope. I mean, what are you doing as an intern? You're doing therapy. It, so it's, you're okay. Yeah, it's like it's and you you know you can't. It's not like being a medical student. You can't practice on cadavers. You have to practice on real people. So I, I you know I. I don't think I screwed up anybody too bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your that's your catch. That's but your you catch do it, you know you do a, it, it. There are community clinics. I worked at a place called Airport Marina Counseling Service, which just as a public service announcement, um, if you need therapy and you need psychiatric services, it's and you're in the South Bay area or like near the, the you know West LA Airport South Bay, it's excellent and they offer sliding scale, um, anywhere from twenty dollars to ninety dollars depending on your income. You get uh, very well trained, well supervised interns, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. It was a great place to learn. Now, is it is it a little your first? Your first day as an intern, your first therapy lesson with someone when you're out of school, mm -hmm. I would think that must be a very scary feeling just because you're new. They don't know you're new. You don't sit uh -huh. there and go, hey, great to meet you. It's my first day. I'm Leah. I mean, well, they know, they, they know that you're an intern. Right, but still like the first day. I mean, it's like it's not like getting on stage. I mean, it must be a very, I mean, what do you, what? how do you put yourself in the mind frame? I, mean, I know schooling is great, but when you're actually sitting there face to face with someone, it, were you nervous? Oh, yeah. I mean, were you just sitting there going, oh God. Well, the first time you do a, you do a practicum before you do. I mean, they really they really ease you into it. You do a practicum before the internship. So, um, I was doing my practicum at at Cal State, uh, doing counseling for students, and I, I was so scared. I, I was just I was really really nervous. So, for that. I, I did actually sit in on a on a session with with somebody who was a little bit more seasoned yeah, more seasoned than me, which means she'd been doing it for two months. Right. 
she was so experienced. And uh, you know, I was talking about the diverse student population at Cal State. This girl was Iranian. I think she was Armenian, but she was from Iran. And she was a hoot. She was great. I forget her name, but um, we're, she's, she's doing a, a session with somebody, and it's his first time in therapy. And she says to him, and, and, I'm, and I'm like sitting and listening and watching, and she says to him, you should be very proud of yourself that you came for help. You should applaud yourself on the back. And I, I, <laughs> and I just like, I will remember this moment for the rest of my life. <laughs> and you don't want to laugh because no, I couldn't laugh. I was... And you're like, this is brilliant. <laughs> it's like this is. Yes. Someone wouldn't write, couldn't write this. Yes. And I had, oh God, the, the, I've really some of my clients have said i had i had this one client at in my internship who was just, she was she was very brassy she remind, she was like a truck stop waitress she was a brassy gal she worked as a as a as a as a as a checkout at a supermarket for 36 years i mean she really she was salt of the earth and she was sitting in 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 session once and she was just i know you're not supposed to have favorites but she was my favorite and she was crying about something and she just like wiped the tears from her eyes and she said ah, you couldn't please me if you hung me with a new rope <laughs> and i said what does that mean and she said i don't know see that's it always happens the sayings that people have because a lot of times you want to say something and you mean to say something and you get caught in midstream and you don't sit there and you don't want to say how's that saying go so you yeah. just say something that makes no sense mm -hmm. And most of the time, people won't say, I've never heard that. They go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> so so you do the interns for 3,000 hours. 3,000 hours, yeah. So how long does that take you, time-wise? It took, it took me uh, about three and a half years. But I also, it, it, it would have taken me three years, but I have, it, it, I had some, I had some issues with the licensing board. Okay. So it took me a little bit longer. Um, and that 3,000 hours isn't all face-to-face -face therapy. It's supervision, it's training, it's paperwork. It, it's, it's a lot, there are a lot of different components. And then, here's the fun part. You have to log every hour of that 3,000 hours. Every single hour has to be accounted for and signed by a supervisor. And it's it's none of it is on computer it's all done on paper so you have to actually write out you have to have these hard copies of these little grids for, for every week so by the end of your internship you've got a stack of papers about an inch thick you take that stack of papers and you send it to the board of behavioral sciences in sacramento california who has and and at the time that i was that i had all my paperwork done they had one person who was uh, who evaluated all the paperwork for every MFT intern in the state of California. One person. So that's that takes a hell of a long time. It took a year. See, I mean, why do you think they do that? I mean, why do you think that a a state? I know politically we're bankrupt and all that, but but, but one per. I mean, that one person. You you got to think. I mean, you know how when you're younger and you sit and you go, you have three chapters to read. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to read that. And yeah. you sit there and you don't read it. I did this in college a lot. And then you'd say, hey, did you do a highlight? And so, you know, and then you get behind and behind. Yeah. Well, for this, you'll, they'll never, your their, their job satisfaction must suck because they'll never, they'll never get out from being behind because there's only one person reading yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, so did they give you notes? What do they do after the, I mean, when they, when they. Uh, and they, and they go over I mean, it. They are meticulous. That that one that one person that one miserable unhappy person. They've they've got a few more now because of the the budget, but it shows you what a what a priority mental health is in this country. <clears throat> anyway, um, well, you can talk about that. I mean, you, you think we we put it on the back burner, don't you think? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think I'm not one. One day we will have evolved to the point where 
we will look back on this idea that that mental health and physical health are are somehow two separate entities. We'll look back on it the way current medicine looks at at leeches. Um, it's just it's so crazy the disconnect that exists between uh, the treatment of the mind and the treatment of the body. It, it, it's 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 mind-boggling. <laughs> well, no, well, yeah, I mean, it, of course, because you know, it's every, if it's physical, right, then it's has to be taken care of. If it's mental, it's mm -hmm. not always. It always. Yeah. It's not. There's it, no urgency. There's right, no sense of right. urgency. Right. And it, it and it's you know you 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 can snap out of it and you're weak and yeah it it's it's just it's 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 ridiculous. Um. But anyway, so it took a year for the board for for the person to sign off on the paperwork, and if there's a glitch. If there's an inconsistency, if there's any little thing, they say, no, you gotta, you gotta go back and redo this, or you've got to go back and redo that. And you hear these nightmare stories about people just, you know, if, if, if you, if you have a, if you were working under a supervisor, say, and you, for some reason, neglected to have that supervisor sign off on your hours and that supervisor dies you lose the hours See, that's so, you have to make them up dude, that's so asinine when you think about it. it's just it's it's so stupid it's like oh yeah you're gonna lie because first of all most people aren't gonna lie over a dead man you know, you're, yeah. you're not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, this is, this is my way yeah. out. I'm going to find out. I'm going to go to every school. Yeah. My, supervi my, oh, my supervisor died. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, so you, you get done. You find, they finally sign you off. Yeah. So then now you, you go, now what do you do? Do you go work then for someone? Then you take an exam. So after all that stuff, even though you did, you went to, you got your master's, you had right. to get a, get an exam to get into the school. Right. And then you sit there and you do 3,000 hours of internship, which uh -huh. is unbelievable. And during those 3,000 hours, you are logging stuff. And it's probably obvious if you suck as in... Oh, 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 3,000 hours of unpaid internship. Okay. So you do working for that. Yeah. So, so it's pretty, it's pretty, <laughs> we're pretty sure you, you have a dedication to it. And I think... After like the first 1,000 hours, if you really thought you'd suck, uh -huh. you'd quit yeah. because you're like, I'm never going to get a job. And, and people do. And so, yeah, so they said, it's not for me. So you do that, and then you have to get all this work signed off. Then the state has to okay it. And, and then so after all to, this, you have to go take another you have test. To take, you have to take a, a licensing exam, and then if you pass that, then you have to take another licensing exam. Um, one is... Like one is a multiple choice, and then the and, and then the other exam is is vignettes where they you, you, they present a case to you okay. and you and and then you got to find a job and then you're and then after all of that you're just starting out. I know it's like such a long long process. Yeah. So what do you do when you're starting out? I mean, I mean, do you, I mean, it's like. Well, you can either uh you can uh, work for an agency, or you can do private practice. Now, how do you find, as a doing private practice, how would someone find clients? I mean, because if you're new, you've got a you've got a network. You know, it's like anything else. You've got a network. You've got to have a website. You've got to have an internet presence. You you, you know, you've got to schmooze. You've got to do all the shit that I hate doing. Okay. You know, you got it, it. It's it's, and I when I was um. I had a private practice internship where I was working under a supervisor and, and my supervisor, bless his heart, he was great. And he just kept saying, well, you know, you've got to be an expert. You've got to give a talk on something. And I was like, what am I going to give a talk on? I'm, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm an intern. I, I don't know what I'm an expert on. He was like, well, you've got to be, an, you know, you've got to pick something and, and decide that you're an expert on it. And, I, and it just felt so dishonest and disingenuous to me. I was just never able to really get behind it. So now do you have your own practice now? I, I'm sort of, I, I work as an independent contractor at a center called Pacific West Counseling. It's in Mid Wilshire in Los Angeles. And uh, so they provide the office space and uh, referrals and I kick them some rent. So uh, I've, I've got about 15 clients and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Now, do the clients, I mean, like anything, because we're in the Google 
thing in life. Mm -hmm. Do clients ever Google you and then come back and say, wait, are you the same Leah Krinsky? And, and do they think that's great? Or, I mean, how does I would sit there for me, I would think it'd be great. Cause I'd be like, well, you know what? This person was successful at winning Emmys and writing funny stuff. I'm sure she can help me, you know? And I mean, how does that, I mean, has that happened where they've Googled you? A couple of people have said you, you were a writer and I go, yeah, you know, or they say, I Googled you. And I say, of course you did. But if I had one, I had a couple that I was that I was working with when I was an intern, and I said some, and and the the husband said something one day, and it made me laugh. You know, you can't maintain that that the professional sort of neutral composure all the time. And I just started laughing, and he looked at his wife and he said, "I made Leah laugh." So I think he might have he might have Googled. Okay. He might have Googled. Now you're you write a lot of political stuff and stuff like that. Now what what is your take on Trump right now? Oh, it's because I think when you hear mine. Well, okay. And this is I'll tell you just I want to hear what you you agree because you're a smart person. I still think that he's in cahoots with, with Hillary Clinton with Hillary Clinton because she's saying because I heard they're good friends and uh -huh. she's saying no one. And the thing is when you watch Trump, it's it's like a it's like a reality show. I mean you know he's such a blathering idiot. And when you watch him, you go, no one can be, no one can be that. Sh it's like a, like the shock jocks back in the yeah. day. And I think Hillary's probably gonna sit there and have all the Republicans are going crazy now. And I mean, so what do you what do you think of Trump? And what's what's your take on the whole situation? Well, as 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 a comedy writer, he's a gift from God. It's almost you know what it is. It's almost too easy. Uh, I haven't really been. I haven't been devoting too much attention to him just because he he's such a buffoon. It's it's shooting fish in a barrel. He's a joke unto himself. And I also the, like the big the big sort of um uh um taxonomy now is is that the Republican presidential candidates that, it, that everybody's calling it a clown car, which I think really impugns the dignity and gravitas of clowns. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just—it's not fair. Right. Uh, but I just, yeah, I can't, I can't pay too much attention to Trump. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like, oh look, there's a big steaming pile of shit. Isn't that awful? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know what amazes me also is it's like every day another republic, like someone enters the race every day. You're going, mm -hmm. wait a second, you know, you can't. It's like anything. As you say, that clown car. I mean, the clown car is now full, and you have to buy a second clown car. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, it's amazing that these people just keep. It's almost, it's like a mockery. If I were Hillary, I would be insulted. Why is that? Because I would just be going, "This really? This is the best. This is the best you've got." But now, what do you think of Bernie Sanders? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm. I'm. I reserve judgment. You're an East Coast person. So you understand. I grew up in the shadow of Shea Stadium. I was a Mets fan from the time I was a little kid. Um, I don't get my hopes up too early because I've learned from bitter experience. I'm a Philadelphia fan, believe me. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. the same yeah. thing. It's you know. So right now I'm just sort of maintaining this this sort I'm 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 this sense of amused detachment. Anything can happen. Um, people were in, in the winter of 1992, people were mocking the Democrats and mocking Bill Clinton. And, you know, he ended up winning the, the, the presidential election, he won the nomination and he won the election. So anything can happen. Now, do you keep up from, cause from your background of writing with Dennis Miller and stuff like that, do you keep, every keep, keep up on current events? Are you very involved with that? Is that something that you enjoy? So I mean, what I mean, like, let's say you, I mean, do you, I'm, do you still get a newspaper? Yeah. Okay, but I'm gonna say I, don't, I was gonna say I don't think anyone does. I mean, every time you see it, isn't it funny that used to be a big thing? Like you get the paper, you look through. Damn. Now, when you go to the internet, like, what sites do you go to to get your to get your if you want to get something political and or if we, when you watch TV because everyone you know says you know Fox News is Fox. What do you watch? Because you're a smart person who wrote political stuff for mm -hmm. Dennis Miller, who was I guess liberal, but now is conservative i mean 
what what do you where do you get your information from? I don't I I watch very little television because it's just too much of an assault, and it it, it the the anchors are so stu- the news anchors are so stupid. It, it's just it's infuriating for me. Uh, I get I, I read the New York Times. Well, I read the the headlines because, and I read my ten free articles. Uh, I read uh, the Google the Google News. I love Wonkette. I just they, they had something. They had something today. Uh, let me try and find it. Just they the way that they describe. The way they described Rick Santorum was so funny. Um, now I, I I can't find it right now. I would have to scroll. I would have to scroll down too long. But I love Wonkette. I just I love their um, I just I, I love their use of language. I of course I, I like their um, I like they're very left leaning. So I like that they're very feminist. But they're, they're feminist and they're funny. Um, who else do I look at? Uh, just I just click on whatever links interest me. Now, now, besides politics, are you, are you still following comedy? Do you still follow your comedian friends? Do you go to shows, or, or have you really just because it's a different world? Do you separate from that? I mean, I know you said you went to see Fuglesang, and you were on his radio show, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, 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 when you see, went to see that show, did you, did you go to a lot of live shows like that a lot, or no? Not a lot, no. Um, just because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, Friday nights I see clients. Um, during the week I'm usually busy doing other stuff, and um, so I'm not really super familiar with with what's going on in the clubs. I do love I love seeing the people that that I came up with. Um, just, I, I love seeing their success. I loved seeing Alan Havy on Mad Men. That was great. He was on my show. He he hadn't oh, booked my. it yet, and uh, I always remember Alan Havy when he had that show. Was it was night? Uh, the, the but his talk show that was mm-hmm. on coming through. And I always remember he had really cool hair and he wore cool shirts. And uh-huh. I, that's so funny because you sit there and go, we're like, that's like the best job. He gets to do stand up. He gets to interview people, and he's got cool hair and his shirts are awesome that was back then when the shirts like were loud you know like yeah, the 80s yeah, shirt yeah. and you're like we're like man us young comics like that's that's the guy we got a bit the thing the, the funny thing about about being on facebook when i i started i started out i passed at the improv in new york when i was 24 so I, and i was really kind of treated like this this pesky little kid sister um, the guys just all, they, they, you know, they all teased me. They were mean to me like big brothers are mean to you. And now if I post something and I get a like from one of them, I'm still just like, oh, my God, oh my God the cool kids like my stuff. It's, well, it's, it's really every, pathetic. Everyone's like that. You know, like sometimes when you get a like from someone, you're like, oh, cool. You know, uh, you're like, oh, wow, such and such, you know, like uh, it. And so now you, how much, how often do you post a day? Because you post a lot, and and do you sit there when you wake up? Do you, I mean, how does your process work? Because your your jokes are dip, all about different things. Mm-hmm. And so, when is it just a stream of consciousness? When something comes in your mind, you do it, or do you sit there and go, okay, you know, I woke up today, I'm gonna post something. How do you do about the posting your jokes? I mean, um, if I if I think about something, uh, it, it, like if it. it a lot of my posts are about my personal, about my personal life, about being older, about you know, my dogs, whatever that that kind of stuff. That just comes to me. Um, usually, uh, when I'm either riding my bike or I'm in yoga. So, when that stuff comes to me, I just post it. Um, I usually try to do one post in the morning and one post in the evening uh, about about the news. And I don't know. Um, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but when I wake up in the morning, it's part of my process. I get some coffee and I, you know, put the dogs out for a pee, and then I look at the paper and I see what happened over the during the night. And usually, 
first thing in the morning when I'm just waking up, I'm, I just try to really pay attention to whatever pops in my head because that's usually, it's usually good. Now, do you miss the writing, the jokes? Like, do you miss that old life? Just when you sit there now, because it's different now, as I said, with Facebook and with Twitter mm -hmm. that we have an outlet now. Mm -hmm. And before then, it's like anything. If, you know, back in the day, if you had a joke, you would tell another comic, you go, hey, you think this joke's funny? But mm -hmm. now you can see, I mean, do you do you miss the joke writing for a profession? I mean, does yeah, it, well, I miss, yes, I yeah, mean, I do. I would, I, ideally, my, my, my dream life would be uh, seeing clients on weekends in private practice and working as a writer on a staff. Now, have you pursued that at all? Because there's so many people you know mm -hmm. who know of your talent and they're, they're still writing. I mean, is this something you've thought about doing? Oh yeah. I mean, but how does how would you go about that? Beats I mean, the fuck out of me. You don't. I mean, there's something. <laughs> but I mean, there's gotta be people. People, but when these people like your stuff. I'm just. I'm waiting. I'm. I'm waiting for the job fairy to job show fairy. up and put a little job under my pillow. Now, have you ever thought about writing a, a book about therapy and your comedy background? Yeah. yeah. Have you started doing that? No. No. Why not? No, because it's I, you. you I, no, come on, tell me. I want to I'm know. very self-critical. I'm, I'm very that I posted that the other day. I said I could never be a mass shooter because I'm way too self-critical to write a manifesto. Right, you wrote that. That's very yeah. funny. Now I'm, I'm very, very tough on myself, and I and I'm like I'm afraid of the long form. Jokes are, jokes are perfect little little soap bubbles, and you know they're they're it, it's it's just a, it's a perfect little form for me. I can't get in trouble with a joke, but I feel like if I write more, if I write in a longer form, it's just like oh god, who the hell wants to read this? That's so funny. We we all do that. It's who just because it jokes. Yeah. It's, 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 I say it's a Twitter syndrome. It's 132 uh, things. After that, you're safe. That's yeah. all you can do. And you might have to use instead of and the and sign right, the ampersand. just to fit, yeah, yeah, to yeah, fit yeah. it in, or you sit there and go, well, I don't have to put this person's first name, but what if they don't know? So it's just mm. it's true. So uh, is there anything you won't write about, like when you when you joke? Is there anything that you feel taboo? Because now in comedy, everyone's saying that it's so PC. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there anything that you won't joke about, or something that you just don't find funny that you wouldn't want to write about anyway? Um. I don't, you know, anything that's, um, anything that's sort of an ad hominem attack on somebody, um, making fun of somebody's looks, making fun of a, of a disability, uh, that, that, you know, the personal stuff. Unless it's Chris Christie, then we can make fun of him. I have a big no, yeah, no I, I have I have a big problem with him is because my girlfriend just moved out here a year and a half ago. Uh -huh. And before that we were in a long distance relationship for two years, so I would go back east once a month. Oh wow. And I when I went back, it was when Christy was rebuilding the Jersey Shore. And I grew up going to the Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. And man, this guy was like he was great. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you see when he decides, Hey, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna start running for president. He's like basically saying, Screw New Jersey and it mm -hmm. just seemed like a, a year and a half or two years the guy go from like everyone loved him just being Flat out asshole. Yeah. And it's hard. So I'll make fun of his size. I'll do that. I have no problem with him. Yeah. I Well, I think it's, it's for him, it's, it's just such an indication of, of, of who he is. He's just, he's boorish and vulgar and, and, and gross in the true sense of the word. Right. Literally gross. We're running out of time. I just want to know, what's your whole thing on the Cosby thing? What, what, what did you, I mean, have you. Do you tweet about that? I mean, do you tweet about that a lot? I mean, because, mm -hmm. I mean, so, I mean, as someone from the comedy background, it's really it's disgusting. You know what? It it makes me love Richard Pryor even more than I already did. Because it turns out, you know, Pryor was the good guy. He was so troubled and had so many demons. And... He, but he had some humility, and and it just sort of I just I look at you know because the two of them were contemporaries and they were both groundbreaking and they were both, you know they they're these two black comics and they're almost they're, they're sort of like the two the two paths you know right. the two roads diverged in the yellow wood so to speak, and uh, I just look at Pryor and I go oh you poor bastard you know. You know that that he was the one with the integrity, and he suffered so much. I know it is amazing, and it's just it's so funny because when that whole story, those stories came out, what bothered me was 
the people who didn't believe the women and i'm I, my my girlfriend is a uh she was a victim of a date rape of mm-hmm. a uh, very known guy in philadelphia and she speaks on it she's been on tv mm-hmm. and and I know from just seeing like interviews with that guy, like the megalomaniacy of these just these these Cosby and these guys. Mm. I just can't believe people would sit there and get behind him. And it's, it took like, it, it's not like it's not like it was like one person who said, "Oh, this happened." It was like yeah. twenty. And as a female, I mean, that must. I mean, it enrages me as a male. As a female, it must just enrage you more when, it's especially another female like Felicia Rashad, who's backing him up. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, I. People are entitled to their opinions. I mean, it's obvious to me. It's probably obvious to a lot of people, but uh, denial is a very, very powerful mechanism. And and money is a is a very powerful money money and power are are very uh, very seductive. Now, something totally off subject. Would you ever think about getting on stage again? Is that something that you've thought about? I mean, cause... no, because um, because Hollywood's a small town, and I wouldn't want I, I wouldn't want to be up at a club and have clients see me. Okay. Just just because it's not professional. Just because I think it would it would uh, compromise uh, their it would compromise their therapy. You know, if they if they hear me up there talking about you know whatever being in menopause or you know just any of the stuff that I talk about I just I just don't I think it would it would sort of it would color our relationship that makes sense at least the writing do, do any of them follow you on Facebook or, or you sit there with not friends? I have my I have my privacy settings pretty high I mean I know that that doesn't guarantee anything but uh nobody can look at my posts that 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 I'm not friends with. Now, do you have a website for your therapy? No, not yet. No, okay, so but now is that one of your plans? Would you want to branch off and do that? I guess. I guess I'm gonna have to. It just, you know, I, I just I don't want to be another another West Side therapist with a, with a photograph of a lotus blossom on their website. I just <laughs> it it's it it's. The the idea of finding a place for myself is is kind of daunting. I mean, because God knows there are a lot of people that need therapy, but there are also a shit ton of therapists out there. And how do you differentiate yourself? How do you how do you sort of make yourself a, a desirable commodity? Because it's marketing, it's sales, and and it just it's it's a little hard for me to to process. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you. Now, give your Twitter and and people have to find your posts because people they're funny. Okay, well, thank you. Well, my I post on Twitter. I I, t- I tweet. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh uh what is it? It's Krinsk five. That's K R I N S K five. Yeah. Not spelled out the letter five. Well, then follow her on Krinsk Five. And then, you know, we went to Facebook. You have enough friends. You don't need more Facebook friends because, you know, you can turn them down if you want. So, I just got friended by somebody. See that? Hey. Well, there you go. Hey. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank and people, you. Follow her at Krinsk Five. Also, follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I tweet some jokes. And that's about it. I sometimes tweet stuff about the show, but I usually don't. Uh, go to my website, www.coopertalk.net. I have over 400 episodes up there. You can email me, Cooper at coopertalk.net i will respond i will you know if you have a guest suggestion i will try to get them because i love getting good guests also uh itunes or stitcher it's cooper talk one word you can find all my shows there or if you have an android uh phone you can go to the google play store and it's free you can get the cooper talk app and also my other website stopthesalt.com stopthesalt.com you know when i got out of the hospital with my heart problem three years ago i had to change my diet so what did i do I started cooking healthier with low sodium. So I went out and I wrote a basic, easy cookbook for you. It has 120 recipes. There's pastas, there's salads, there's sandwiches, stuff like that. No pictures. Because I know when we look at pictures, we get very intimidated. And you go, I can't cook that. There's also not a ton of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. There's easy recipes. There's a key up front that tells you how much food you should serve. So go buy that. Stopthesalt.com. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. But if you get it there... I don't make as much as money. And what you want me to get more money, so go to StopTheSalt.com. 
And I know this sounds pompous, but I'll sign it. You have to ask me to sign it for you, though, because I won't just sign it if you don't ask, because I always feel like a dick, like I'll sign the book. <laughs> and then you get it, and you don't want to sign. So go check it out. Go go follow Krinsk5, Krinsk5 at Twitter, at CooperTalk at Twitter, StopTheSalt.com, CooperTalk.net. And I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you next week with three brand new guests, and I'll see you then.